The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Good morning, LifePoint. One more time. There you go. I know you guys had it, didn't you? You know, I can't tell you how many people said, you know, I'll see it second service this morning. I said, what is it, a holiday? I think so, and they're making the most out of the next four days. Some guys have Monday off, so they've uh, had Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, and how often do you get a four-day weekend? Not all that much. If this is your first time with us, I'm glad to have you here. You find ourselves in the midst of this series entitled, The Story of Everything. Now, when I was a kid, uh, my dad would tell us bedtime stories, my sister and I, and he'd say, what story do you want to hear tonight? I'd say, well, tell us about... uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, and don't leave out any details. Because we knew it was a long story, and, and we were trying to figure out the longest story we could find. But if I knew there was a story of everything, I said, Dad, tell me the story of everything. We'd have been up all night. So we're in the midst of this uh, series called The Story of Everything. And really, the story of everything is, uh, in, realistically, the story of one thing. It's the God is crazy about bringing us back into relationship with His self. That's what it's all about. We see all through history, especially throughout the Old, Old, Old Testament, how God began this process of drawing man back to Himself. When God created man in Genesis, He created him to relate to Him. God didn't create us to do stuff for God, although we can, but that's not why He made us. God created us to connect with us. It says in Genesis that that God would walk in the garden in the evening time with Adam and Eve, and they just talk about stuff. What'd you do today, guys? Oh, we saw this weird thing. He was like three stories tall, had spots all over his neck, and and this is the weirdest thing you ever saw. It was a giraffe. But they had never seen that before. They had this relationship that just impassioned God's heart, and it impassioned their hearts too. And so really the story of everything begins in Genesis. And it begins with, with Adam's passivity and Eve's disobedience. Sin entered the world. It broke nature as we know it today. It broke our hearts and it broke the heart of God. And from that point forward, God was devising a way to bring man back into relationship with him once again for the original purpose he, he created him for. That was to relate and to connect. So we see it goes, it takes us through the story of Noah and how Noah built the ark and God destroyed the world except for that one family. Realized what he'd done, he said, I will never again destroy the world by water again. He gave us the rainbow as a sign of that promise. Goes through the story of Moses, how God sent the people out of Egypt and how he gave the law so we could learn to live peacefully with God and with other men takes us through the story of Abraham and his struggles and his failures and God working through Abraham ultimately so Abraham could become the father of faith from this one common man. Takes us through the battles and struggles, the rise and the fall of kings like King Saul and King David and King Solomon. Takes us through some of the prophecies where God was looking down the road into the future. Major prophets like Jeremiah And and Isaiah, and Amos, and Malachi. The story of Zechariah the priest when he went into the temple and saw the angel of the Lord. Tells the story of a teenage girl who was pregnant 
and unmarried. Very shameful thing in that, those days. And yet how her son grew up to become the first man that was ever literally born to die. And his name was Jesus Christ. So through this story, we see what I call this, this scarlet thread of redemption. Starting in Genesis and going all the way through Scripture. And God's passionate desire to bring man and God back together again. It was a divine plan. The big story has really always been about Jesus Christ. How many of you guys love a good mystery? I know I do. And, and I've, you know, there's a lot of books out there, and some of them are so-so, but there's some really good ones out there. Uh, occasionally, we run across a movie or two. My wife and I watched something called um, The Prestige the other night. Any of you guys seen that? Okay. What do you think about it? Was it? It had some mystery to it, didn't it? I watched this thing, and I would rewind it, and I'm like, I didn't get this. And so we go ahead, and I think, well, did he say this back here? And I'd rewind it. And at the end of the movie, I still didn't get it. It's like I spent two hours here, and I'm not getting the answer here. So my wife looks at me, and she goes, you know what? She says, Google's your best friend. I said, you know, I think so. Let's Google it. So we Googled it, and, and sure enough, Google said, and, 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 and looking back, I see it now, you could see, you could see the answer to this mystery in the very last frame of the last shot. It's like, oh, I get it now. Wow, wasn't that cool? I didn't get it before. I get it now. I love a good mystery. In the, in the mid-1300s, there was something that came across Europe, and it was called the, the plague, the Black Plague. I don't know if you guys remember this from history class or not. For me, it's been a while. <laughs> but... Uh, it was the mid-1300s, and it killed between 50 and 75 million people in Europe. Now, the St. Louis metro area may have about 1.2, 1.3 million people. Let's say 50 St. Louis's. It just wiped off the face of the earth in that 100, 125-year span through this thing called the Black Plague. People were terrified of this thing. They didn't know how it was transmitted, how you get it, how you'd not get it, if you were going to live or you'd die, and most of the times they died. And literally wiped out almost 60% of Europe off the face of the map. Nobody could understand why. Well, 500 years later, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Louis Pasteur, and he was from France, and, uh, and he discovered what he called the germ theory. Ah, and that states this, that a small, often airborne organism can cause a reaction in the body of those who are infected. And the body's response to this is disease. Oh, that's why they died. Dude, nobody was washing their hands after they coughed or blew their nose. Sanitation wasn't, wasn't even thought about. They were lucky if they had clean water back then. Now we have this thing called a germ, and all of a sudden, history makes sense. <laughs> it was a germ. And today, any first grader will tell you what a germ is. Not that they wash their hands anymore often. <laughs> but they know what it is. Mystery resolved. But there was another mystery that's been hidden for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So much more important than this thing called the Black Plague. This mystery confounded men and women, kings and priests and prophets throughout the entire Old Testament. 
It was, a, it was truly a mystery. Nobody understood. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel spoke of this mystery, but he still didn't understand that. And it wasn't until the birth and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ until that mystery began to be understood. And Paul refers to it here in Colossians 1.16. He refers to it as the mystery hidden for ages and generations. Guys, this was something that the, the prophets had longed to understand. How is God going to redeem a broken world back to himself? They had no clue. They thought he'd come riding in on a white horse like a lot of their other kings would do, and he'd set them free from their enemies, and he'd set up kingship and rule. That's all they could conceive of. They had no idea how this was going to happen. And Paul, even after the disciples had come and gone, Paul was the first one to be able to really understand or begin understanding this mystery. The mystery itself was revealed by a prophet named Ezekiel. And Ezekiel lived in Babylon. He was there for about 22 years. He was, he was a street preacher is what he was. He wasn't like Billy Graham who put on a coat and tie and preached to Colosseums. He was just a street preacher, and he preached the, the love of God, the judgment of God to people who are hard-hearted and stick-necked. They, 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 they were not responsive to God in any way, shape, or form. A prophet was God's mouthpiece to people to let them hear the heart of God and to lead them. That's what the job of a prophet was to do. And these people were stuck in their sin and their rebellion. And so Isaiah or uh, Ezekiel began to prophesy to these people. And we see this in Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is the most amazing thing. I want you to look at this here. Two verses. And this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my just decrees. Wow, that's something God's going to do. This could be huge. But I want you to look at verse 32, just a few verses down. He says this, It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. In other words, what God is doing is for himself, out of his heart of compassion and kindness and love for the stiff-necked people. He says, I love you anyway, and this is what I'm going to do. It's not because you guys are good guys. It's for my own sake, says the Lord God of hosts. So God acted on his compassion, not because we deserved anything. Notice how many times he says, I will do this. I will take away your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit within you. I will, I will, I will. This is all God's doing. This is all God's doing. It starts with God. It ends with God. And this is all his doing. It has very little, if anything, to do with us, except that we are the recipients of God's good graces. You know, I can change my heart. I've tried to do that a little bit. It doesn't work so good. <laughs> I keep trying. It still doesn't work very good. What I need is transformation. And only God himself can literally do that. Transformation is when the caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It looks nothing like what it started out to be. And that's God's specialty. 
is transforming us from one state to another. So I want us to take a look here and see what God promised to do. First of all, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to put that within you. He says, I'm going to remove the heart of stone. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is stone. Now, why in the heck did God liken my heart to this rock? Well, this rock is cold, and I think in many ways my heart is cold. In the old days when they would throw a prisoner in the dungeon in the bottom of the castle, the walls, the floors will rock, and literally rock will suck the heat out of your body. That was part of their punishment. Linda and I were considering getting some tile on our kitchen floor. We thought about it, and it's kind of cool. It's kind of trendy and stuff. But I realized in wintertime, it's going to be pretty darn cold. And I can't use my little bare feet to trudge around the kitchen anymore because it's going to suck the heat out of my feet, and I'm going to be cold all the time. I said, well, no, we're not going to do that. My heart, he says, is as cold as a stone. Secondly, a stone is hard. It's hard. If you're going to cut this, it takes some special, very expensive tools to cut this rock. Think of the last time you were out looking at a cemetery. You see all those stones of granite? That cost a whole lot of money. It was some very specialized equipment to cut that rock. And thirdly, oh, this stone is dead. It's dead. There's no feeling in a rock. There's no feeling often in my heart. Now, we're not talking about my physical heart. We're not talking about that at all. A person's physical heart is not like this, but spiritually, this is our true condition. It's cold, it's hard, and it's dead. And here's the good news. God says, I'm going to take away from you your heart of stone. And then he says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. But what does that mean, a heart of flesh? The Hebrew word literally is a masculine noun implying life. I'm going to put life where there was no life. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Paul wrote that. He said, guys, you're dead. We were stillborn, literally in our hearts, because of the fall with Adam and Eve. I was born and my heart was dead, lifeless, cold and hard. He says, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take away your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And that heart of flesh means that I can feel now on account of my sin. I can feel. It's a heart that can grieve when I'm pricked with conviction. It's a heart that means that it can yield when the gospel makes itself known to me. And it's, it's a heart that can change when God's word comes upon it. He's going to take away my heart of stone. He's going to give me a heart of flesh. And then, then he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. You see, God doesn't promise that he's going to improve the old one. He's not just going to fix it up. No, the promise is that he's going to give us a new heart. You see, human nature is far too gone to fix it anymore. Human nature is not like a house 
that just needs a little repair. It's not like there's a shingle off the roof and a broken window we need to replace in the front area. That's not the way it is. The house of our heart is completely, completely rotten. The entire roof is gone. It's had water damage. The foundation's cracked, if not broken. Termites have eaten every single stud in the place. There is nothing, nothing worth saving in my house. God knows that. You see, we're the ones that don't know that. We think, well, if I change just a little bit, I can do better. I can be better. That's why we put on a nice shirt. We comb our hair when we go to church on Sunday. I, I want to I spruce up the landscaping a little bit so it doesn't look so bad. But in my heart of hearts, when there's nobody but God and me, I realize this is, this is far too gone. I can't save this. And you see, God knew that. That's why he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. He doesn't try to fix it. Doesn't shore up the walls. Put a porch light on the outside. Doesn't do that. He says the old house needs to be demolished. And I'm going to give you a new heart. You see, for years I had Jeremiah 17 drilled into my head. And Jeremiah talks about our heart being desperately wicked. Who could know it? And that was true at one time. But the reality is it's not true anymore. Just read the rest of the book. God has given me now a new heart. And that is not true of me anymore. You see, if you really know Jesus this morning, God has given you a new heart. Ephesians, let's look at Ephesians, um, or 2 Corinthians 5. And he says this, if anyone is in Christ, that includes me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, and new things have come. Can you say it with me? The old has passed away. Say it. The old has passed away, and the new has come. The new has come. God has given us a new heart. We don't have that old heart anymore. We don't have that heart anymore. Yeah, there's a war within us, but it's a civil war. And God knew that. And, and then, let's see what God does. This is God's provision for that. This is where the mystery that has been hidden now has finally been revealed. He says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to put my spirit within you. Wow. God's going to put his spirit in me? Dude, that's almost incomprehensible. This was the mystery of the ages that was finally revealed. Nobody had any clue that part of God would actually come to live in me. I'm still, and I'm almost 60, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Part of God coming to live in me? Dude, what does that mean for me? It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. I want to look at Colossians 1, and we're going to go back to that first verse I looked at when we started out here. He says, and this is Paul writing, he says, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now, now has been revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, here it is, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nobody would have ever dreamed that's how the mystery would be resolved. Let me show you something here. This is a picture 
of how most Christians are living their life. Right here. They are, they're sinners saved by grace. I can't tell you how often I have heard that. You know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that's true. But, but, but can you see me in here? Do you see, do you see you in here somewhere? Can you see you in here somewhere? Okay, you can see that. Okay, this means yes, this means no. You can see you in here somewhere, okay? This is me in here, but this is what tends to define my life. I still walk in sin. I still live in sin, but you know what? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. This... Ladies and gentlemen, it is not the most important thing about you. Sin does not define us. The reality is, is, that, is that I am important to God. That God knows my name. He knows who I am. He knows who I struggle with. He knows everything about me. He knows more about me than I know about myself. And this is no longer true. You see, what happened was that God broke the power that sin had over me. And he got rid of that sin, and then he reached down deep inside and pulled this thing out called sin that was living here. Part of my brokenness, he pulled that out. And he got rid of it. And what he did, he took Christ, and he put it now... In me. Christ in you. Can you see me in here somewhere? Can you see you here somewhere? This is Christ in you. This is the hope of glory right here, right now. This is it. Amen. This is it. But you know, it's interesting. Colossians goes on to say, that not only is Christ in me, but we are in Christ. So we can make that happen. So guess what? I am now in Christ. Christ is in me, and I am in Christ. And not only that, Ben, would you help me here for a second? Would you hold this? What the Bible says is that we have now been sealed by the Spirit of God. We have now been sealed. Thank you, brother. We've now been sealed by His Spirit. Christ in me. Christ in you. And you are in Christ. But not only that, it gets better. Colossians 3.3 says that Christ was hidden with God. So we can make that happen. So now we have this, where Christ has been hidden with God. Can you see you in here somewhere? You can see you, can't you? What I see mostly is God in Christ, but I can see me, but I can see Christ. 
This was the mystery that was hidden for all these generations. This is how God was able to bring me back into relationship with himself. By taking away the sin. By replacing it with himself. Sealing me with his spirit. And guys, your life can look like this this morning when you walk out that door. This is what God says is true about me. It's not that we're walking around with this barrel of sin. Sin no longer defines me. It is Christ who defines me. This is the hope of glory. You see, when I... When I Years ago, years ago, I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, I served God hard. I did a lot of good things. A lot of good things. I worked hard. But when I met the grace and mercy of, of Christ at the heart level, guys, everything changed. I walked away from religion And I began this incredible personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the two could not be any farther apart. This is who God made me. This is the mystery that has been hidden until this point. And today, you and I have the privilege of not just understanding this, but being a part of it. You see, James chapter 2 says that, uh, you guys have it up here? He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. At least they shudder. Sometimes we don't even do that. Our, Our theology is locked in our head and our hearts are still far from God. And that's the problem. I'd say that's the main problem in Christendom today. We're doing stuff for God. We're involved, we're engaged, we're serving, but our hearts are far away. That's not how God designed us to be. We need to understand who God has created us to be. And we need to walk in light of the truth here. This is who God made us to be. You see, I can, I can, I can dot my theological I's and cross my theological T's. I can understand this book right here. This this book by Wayne Grudem on systematic theology. 600 pages big. I can understand that. And my heart can still be far away from God. And guys, it doesn't have to be that way. In order to know God like God wants you to know Him, we have to do some heart work. We need to go from here to here. This is the longest 12 inches in the world from our head to our heart. We need to do some heart work. We need to own who we are. We need to allow God to remove the heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. Put a new heart in us. And put His Spirit here. And guys, life changes. It's a huge, huge change. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what God's offering you today. The opportunity to walk out the door looking just like this. This is who God says we are. As the band comes up, I want want you guys just to close your eyes for a minute or two. I want to ask you a question. 
And because your eyes are closed, you could be the only person in this room. And it's really okay. That's what I want. I want you to, to be alone with your answers before God. What's the state of your heart this morning? Do you sense God's presence on a regular basis? Are you really growing in genuine relationship with Jesus? I mean, really. If you are, I want you to take the next few minutes and just thank God. Thank, thank God for Christ in you. And who you're becoming because of him. But maybe some of you are still struggling. Like myself, you still believe your heart's desperately wicked. You're still living in sin because you think, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, as if that's just a footnote. Maybe you're more than that. Maybe your heart doesn't understand that God has made it new again. I want you to ask him to make that clear to you. God, is this who I really truly am? Before God. Or maybe you still find your heart hard, like that stone, cold, hard, and dead. Not many emotions, no sense of life or passion for things of God. If that's where you find yourself today, that's okay. We've all been there. But I want you to ask God to, to change that. Ask Him to take away your heart of stone and give you that heart of flesh. And to put his spirit in you. You see, no genuine relationship exists without engaging the heart. It's a starting place for any relationship, whether it's with God or other people. And so I want you to take the next few minutes and do some business with God. More than anything else, more than anything else, God wants you to be honest and authentic and open about your life. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.